Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Dr. Carol Francis Talk Radio Show. Let's make life happen together with authors, scientists, researchers, both inside the box and outside the box of understanding so that you can live a life full of your success, curiosity, enjoyment, happiness, and richness of life in every respect. Let's go beyond our limits and let's help others go beyond their limits as well. Welcome. Asher Fox is going to help you go beyond your limits in terms of your body. And just imagine for a moment living within the body that you know that you want to be in, the healthiest, the the strongest and the leanest that you choose to be. It's nobody else's business as to how you want to be in your body other than your own. But can you create your body in line with your own image of what you want to be in? Well, Asher Fox is going to give us a series of formulas that have worked for him. He's going to tell you his personal story later because right now Asher Fox is going to just dive right in to giving you some formulas that you can start using from the very get-go. Asher Fox is the author of Fat to Fearless Weight Loss System. Welcome to the program, Asher Fox. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. It's wonderful to be here. Oh, good. Well, I am just so eager to have our listeners listen to some of your formulas. You have a very long book that's just eager to inform them on details. It's long and detailed and well thought out. And what are the very first things you want individuals to start embracing that is their very first road toward being able to move toward their real body? Well, the very first thing is that that weight is a symptom. Uh, If you're dealing with significant amounts of weight chronically throughout your life, the weight isn't the problem. The, the weight is actually a symptom of something going on in your subconscious. You know, people rarely eat because they're actually hungry. It's emotional eating. And if you really want to change your body and stick with it and stick with whatever program you're on and it be permanent, it's all about changing those those issues in your subconscious and healing those emotional wounds. Okay, so give us an example and guide us through one of what the, that would be like. You have many approach-guided meditations. Guide us through one of them. Sure. Well, you know, basically the, the program, the, the one of the foundational concepts is understanding that one of the primary functions of the subconscious mind is to prove ourselves right. And, you know, for instance, you may know someone that, uh, let's say it's a, a woman who believes all men cheat, and somehow every single man that she is with somehow manages to cheat, even if they're from different, you know, completely different on the surface, because that's a belief she has and her subconscious drives her towards that. Most of the people that I work with over 19 years, I would say 90 plus percent of them, have some type of belief from childhood of I'm unlovable, I'm not good enough, I'm unattractive. And in a society that prizes being thin, there's really no better way for you to prove that to yourself than to be subconsciously driven to be overweight. So, you know, the first example, the first thing would be, you know, looking at those beliefs and then, you know, resolving those beliefs and changing them because if, until you do that, you know, your subconscious is going to be fighting you. You know, and then there's certainly the fact that, you know, another another big issue is that a lot of people have reasons that they hold on to that weight. That weight is for protection. They're, you know, what's called secondary gains, you know, that need to be addressed. So, you know, those are some, some great examples of some of the primary things that people have trouble with. Okay, so give us an exercise now that would help us with one or the other of those so that we can move into some about your system, whether it's a meditation or uh, a way to work with changing your thoughts along those lines. Sure, yeah. Well, one of the first things to do to look at the, you know, looking at really uncovering what some of these beliefs are that may be driving, you know, your inability to lose weight is, you know, rarely is it confined to just one area of life. You know, whatever, if let's say you have these beliefs of I'm unlovable or I'm ungood, not good enough or unattractive, it's probably causing issues with areas other than weight loss. So one of the things I have people in the, in the book do is sit down and from a first person emotional perspective write down you know write out their life story their their issues with weight loss you know if they're whatever problem areas there may be in life finance relationships and then when you go through that go back and look and ask yourself the question what would someone have to believe about themselves and their place in the world to create these types of results? And then from there, you know, you're able to see what those beliefs are. And, you know, from that standpoint, there's a lot of different, you know, kind of longer techniques that that you can do to kind of begin to heal those. You know, other than that, you know, kind of simple things, you know, that can be done in the beginning is simply dialoguing with your hunger. You know, the whenever you're reaching for food to emotionally eat, 
you know, no matter what model we look at, no matter what we want to label that part, I, I use the inner child model, that kind of wounded emotional part that's reaching out for food. It's reaching out for food to soothe itself because, you know, you're not giving it anything else. You're not connecting with it. You're not helping it to heal. So one of the first things is the next time that you really want to sit down and emotionally eat, sit down, close your eyes, find that feeling in the body, connect with it, and talk to it. You know, for 10 minutes, you know, just ask it, you know, what, what do you really want? You know, what are you feeling? Why are you feeling this way? And you'd be amazed at how quickly that, that, that can begin to shift when you open that dialogue. Yeah, it's such a good idea to just sit down and decide, okay, these are the alternatives to eating. Which of these are going to have the same sort of pleasure pleasure and benefit to me as actually eating to make that list and say, okay, what else would be available? Because if people really don't know what else is available, what will they what what can they turn to when eating is the quickest, the primarily the easiest way to create a moment of pleasure. So right. what would be some other alternatives for them to turn to other than emotional eating? Well, and, and let me say this uh, first. You know, there there certainly are alternatives, but the ideal thing to do is to actually, you know, deal with that emotion that's underneath that needs to be soothed as opposed to because one of the problems is is that we've learned to turn outside of ourselves to feel better. You know, we haven't developed the ability to sit with our own emotions and feel those and work to heal those. So we're always searching outside of ourselves for something to feel better. So first and foremost, it's, you know, get in touch with that feeling and understand where it's coming from and heal it from a very, you know, primal level. You know, beyond that, you know, things that can be done is, you know, there are techniques actually that can alleviate some of those negative emotions, things like emotional freedom technique that I talk a little bit about in the book. But beyond that, a lot of it is just simply spending time and giving yourself the ability to enjoy yourself and finding other things. One of the things people do in the book is they they actually go through and, and figure out what that is for them. For some people, it's, um, you know, spending time in nature or beginning to to you know, uh, explore a new hobby or a, a talent or a passion that they've been denying. But usually, that that need for food is you know we're trying to soothe something a need that's not being met. Okay, so for example, if someone's feeling lonely, uh, they can to be able to say, well, if I'm actually feeling lonely after they've gone through that dialogue that you're saying, then how how do I go about meeting people or interacting with people in a way that's going to feel emotionally satisfying? Um, that is that what you're suggesting? Yeah, a, a lot of it. I mean, first of all, you know, kind of understanding that when we are really lonely. Now, certainly, there's you know general loneliness. You know, I I, I spent a year and a half sitting alone in in, in my house. Uh, you know, after I sold my private practice before starting another one. You know, I took all this time to write this book, and I was very isolated. And there was kind of this legitimate loneliness, so to speak, of just not seeing people. But a lot of people just have, kind of have this chronic feeling of loneliness and emptiness. And the first thing that they'll find is that that's really a, a reflection of kind of that disconnection with their emotional self. So when they begin to connect with that, that will alleviate to a great degree. But, you know, then secondarily, yes, actually going out and meeting people and, you know, beginning to meet people without that judgment of, you know, the book is called Fat to Fearless, and and a lot of it has to do with the fears that keep us trapped. But that fear of, you know, what are people going to, are people going to judge me? Are people going to look at my weight? And 99 times out of 100, that's really kind of all in our heads. But a lot of it is taking the focus off of ourselves when we meet people and really trying to connect with them at a deeper level. You know, what what can I offer this person, you know, emotionally and, and really trying to make those types of connections. You know, that that's one example. But again, you know, a, a lot of that emotional eating is kind of a disconnection with ourselves. That's interesting. So in other words, the relationship with yourself, if you're lonely, then are you really even connecting to yourself? That's a great idea. You also talk about, uh, dealing with the the critical gateway, dealing with the child, and dealing with the conflict between the critic inside, the inner critic, and the inner child. How does that relate to eating and moving away? From, you know, I'm saying eating, and that really isn't fair. But to eating foods that are not in your healthy best interest, and to exercise or not exercise. So, how do those two, the inner critic and the inner child, interface with? making selections for our physical body that are not in our physical body's best interest. Well, what ultimately it is is that inner critic, which is that voice that, you know, says, uh, you're a loser, you know, look at you, you're overweight, you're fat, you're you're going to fail at this diet. You know, that voice, that inner critic is essentially speaking to that emotional part of yourself. And it's what makes you 
you know, feel bad and subsequently reach for food. It's part of what's called the symptom cycle. If I sit here with someone and I I go through this process, and it's detailed in the book as well, and I, I go through a, a process to elicit what are the exact feelings that you have before you reach for food, you know, before you you know, try to feel better by eating. And let's say this person says, oh, you know, I feel lonely, I feel sad, I feel ashamed, I feel like I'm a loser, I feel like I'm, you know, just never going to get it right. And those are the emotions that cause them to reach for food. Well, then if, if I continue with the process and I say, okay, now go ahead and close your eyes and, you know, I want you to go back in time to the last time you did this after you got finished eating this stuff and that sugar high worn off, what did you feel? Oh, I feel I felt sad. I felt angry and lonely, and like I wasn't you know good enough. And I'm always going to f- fail. It's the exact same emotions. So you know the source of our symptomatic problems are usually the way we feel about about the problem, and that voice, you know, that inner critic, just continues to you know pile that on, and it's part of that cycle. So that's why disassembling that cycle involves you know re um, kind of transforming that inner critic, you know, which is a matter of going in and understanding where it comes from, and you know, which is directly related to those kind of childhood beliefs, and then also beginning to empower that child, because you know one of the things that I, I have people do is imagine this this emotional self, this inner child inside of you were a real child. You know, if your child came up and said, Mom, I'm lonely, I don't feel good, would you take a cupcake, shove it in its mouth, and put it in the closet? You know, of course not. But yet that's what we do to ourselves all the time. Instead of letting ourselves feel our emotions and working with them and understanding them and transforming them, we just try to soothe it through, you know, in this particular instance, food. So it's a well-said sort of thing. Do you think that the inner child also holds on to a belief that I should be able to eat whatever I want without any consequences, I should be able to have pleasure whenever I want, don't take my food away from me. Um, You know, kind of like the gimme, gimme, whiny, whiny, no limits, no, uh, I I shouldn't have any need for self-control, how dare you, rebellious kind of attitude toward healthy eating and healthy exercising. What do you think about that inner child voice? Yeah, that's definitely there, you know, and I've seen that where I see that a lot is with people who have, you know, really, you know, type A personalities or people that just are overworked and have no time. You know, like I if I have um, a client who has, you know, four kids and and he, you know, commutes out of town for work and, you know, he he works 80 hours a week and when he comes home, he's helping to take care of the kids. You know, he hasn't done anything for himself in forever. And clients like this, a lot of times what that inner child says is, you know what, I have to do everything for everybody else all the time. I don't get to do anything that I want to do. You know, I, I'm going to eat because that's the one thing I can do and I can have control over. And so it is very much like that. And it's like, you know, I, I don't want limits. You know, it, typically anytime that voice inside says something like, I want it, you know, it's not fair, give it to me now, I should be able to, you know, have that, you know, that, that's that inner child speaking. So having perused your wonderful book, which is called Fat to Fearless, Weight Loss System with Creator Asher Fox, what is the exact title of the of the book so that we can know people can look it up on Amazon and other places? Uh, it's Fat to Fearless, Enjoy Permanent Weight Loss, and End Emotional Eating for Good. They can also find it at my website, which is asherfoxweightloss.com. And also, um, to all your listeners, I'll give away a copy of my Stop Cravings Toolkit, which is coming out in about the next week. And if they just go to cravingstoolkit.com, C-R-A-V-I-N-G-S toolkit.com, they'll get that. And that's a series of techniques with NLP, EFT, and some other things that they can use to kind of instantly shift cravings and understand, you know, what causes those cravings. Oh, that's that's an excellent idea. We'll have to have you back on for dealing with cravings. Now, you know what's interesting about your book so far, and I did have a very quick chance to to peruse a wonderful, excellent of 400 pages of really a lot of self-discovery and being able to no longer let emotional eating be controlling your choices and healthy life. Um, I did wonder about the impact on food uh, on people's attitude like depression and anxiety. I mean, food causes depression. Food causes anxiety. Food can cause a series of different responses in your cravings. So you feel really, really out of control because biologically, biochemically, you are out of control. You've, uh, You've set up a situation. So how do you interface the emotional aspects of eating that you wonderfully deal with in your book with 
the the fact that food can actually aggravate the very emotional the components you're trying to address. Oh, oh, and that's, you know, absolutely, that's a great question because that really is kind of at the heart of the problem is that, you know, we feel emotions through our body, you know, we feel emotions somatically and obviously food, you know, direct, directly affects us chemically. So it is very much um, a process of dealing with both of those at the same time. You know, on one level, you know, the subconscious mind, which controls, you know, is over 90% of our mental functioning, controls our autonomic nervous system, hormones, you know, all of these things, metabolism. As we begin to work directly with the subconscious, you know, a lot of that physical, you know, um, symptoms and cravings are, are kind of dealt with. Uh, but beyond that, a lot of it is, and that's kind of like with the cravings toolkit, is that I give people tools that they can use in the immediate sense to kind of deal with the way that they feel in, in that moment, you know, of, God, I ate this food and now I feel horrible. Because while we're, you know, cha- ultimately we've got to really change that core self-esteem issue, we've got to change those subconscious beliefs and kind of rewrite that, you know, that takes a little bit of time. And in the meantime, you know, we are, you know, still symptomatic, we're still, you know, eating some things, we're still slipping, and there's the tendency of, again, engaging in that symptom cycle where, okay, now I ate, and I feel bad, so now I'm just going to binge. And that's where having kind of those interim tools come in mind. You know, I, I'm a big believer you have to work consciously, subconsciously, and environmentally. And, and a lot of, you know, hypnotherapists, for instance, will say, oh, you know, I don't even want to deal with the conscious mind. You know, let's just go to the subconscious. You know, but I think that's a mistake because that conscious mind is is it who we think we are. And I kind of um, use the analogy of if you've ever worked somewhere where the boss really didn't do much and really didn't know as much as the employees – and but as long as you made him feel like he was in charge, he stayed out of everybody's business. But if you didn't, he would kind of get involved in you know. And that's kind of the conscious mind. You have to you have to appease it. And one of the things that I do is a lot of education, which helps people with this as well. You know, for instance, you know if you go into the grocery store and you see that cupcake in the in the window. Apparently today's cupcake day. I don't know why I keep saying cupcake, but uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> my subconscious may want one. But you know, you look at that and you. Um, you know, the first thing you do is you imagine eating it. You think about eating it. Well, your subconscious doesn't know the difference between what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. So if you imagine eating that cupcake, which, you know, is, is kind of a natural response to looking at it, the thought occurs to you, your subconscious says, okay, and prepares for this massive, you know, uh, influx of sugar by lowering your blood sugar. Just looking at that cupcake has produced a biological craving. So, you know, basically understanding some of those things and having tools to offset that is also very important because the body and the mind obviously are are more linked than anyone really realizes. It's it's a wonderful understanding, and I appreciate so much that you mentioned Bruce Lipton's book and research in regard to the body and the mind, how it interfaces so unknowingly. You know, along the way, I have found a tool that is somewhat uh, interesting. I'd love to hear your comment to it in light of what you just said is that when I smell something absolutely wonderful or when I see something that is is decadent, you know, in terms of calories or fat or things of this sort, or carbohydrates, and it's going to throw me off my system, I have decided that I'm just literally going to enjoy the moment. I'm going to let myself enjoy memories about how great that tastes and how wonderful that is, and I'm going to pretend to actually eat it and just allow myself the enjoyment of that experience and that memory. If I smell something, I'm going to let myself enjoy the experience. So while that might activate a change in my blood sugar, it also allows me to celebrate that, yes, that was wonderful, and right now it's also wonderful that I don't have to add that stuff and make my body have to work so hard dealing with the ramifications of eating it because our bodies work so hard dealing with fat and sugar and whites and so forth and so on. And I have found that that's been kind of a funny, amusing way to deal with cravings, celebrate it, but not have to embroil, embroil my body in the burden of it all. So what are your thoughts yeah. about that, after? Uh, absolutely, and and that's a, t- a technique I use as well. I usually use that with people who are further along on the process, you know, meaning people that are able, you know, if we use like a, uh, you know, the addict, because essentially in many ways it is an addiction, you know, when someone is really at the height of their addiction, that's that's can be somewhat dangerous because uh, they don't, you know, they start that process and then they're all about it. Um, but once a person reaches a particular point, like with myself, you know, I very much do that. I also use a little bit of what's called timeline therapy in terms of, you know, being able to place myself in the future, you know, and realize that, okay, I enjoyed that now, but how do I feel in the future, you know, 
and that helps to reinforce my ability to you know mentally just kind of partake but usually it's a, it's a process where you know there's just dealing with all of that initial you know intense cravings intense you know emotional subconscious desire to eat then the next step usually is learning to savor food meaning that when most people eat who you know have chronic weight issues there's this you know there's this compulsion if i'm going to eat a bite i'm going to eat the whole thing if i have a chip i'm going to eat the the whole bag and the kind of the dopamine response and the way that all that works is that we're driven to do that and it's biological in nature you know from the standpoint of there was a time you know 10,000 years ago or however many years ago you know where we food was a, there was a shortage of food so we were driven to not only eat but we were driven to eat things that would store fat to allow us to survive so that's kind of built in there but what ends up happening is and and I I'll do this with clients is you know I'll have them become conscious of when they're eating and doing this and they'll find that they're chasing the flavor meaning that after that first bite you know after that the the flavor goes down and it's like they just eat more trying to get that back and if i give them a piece of chocolate I'll, and this is something your listeners can do or something that's very flavorful and you know put it on their tongue and let it dissolve you know and then wait a minute or so and then do it again you'll find that the next piece of chocolate or whatever it is taste you know the flavor is substantially reduced because it's just that initial you know excitation of the taste buds so what i teach people is to savor food take that one bite take 30 seconds and a minute chew it slowly savor it really get into the nuances of it and you'll be amazed at how fulfilling that can be and then from there the next step is being able to do what you just said mm. that is a beautiful um example you know, Asher, I really was kind of a little bit worried about doing yet again another interview about weight loss. <laughs> and I'm sure it's the same sort of thing. You know, it's the same sort of thing that people say, no, not another book about weight loss, not another guru that tells me how to lose weight. But I'm really finding that your book and your discussion is comprehensive enough to deal with the whole person and the various phases associated to moving your body into better and better health. And tell us a little bit about the mindset behind being able to move from the beginning phase and saying, okay, I'm going to do something about this. It's going to be different for everybody, I realize, but the beginning phase is I'm going to do something about this. And each of the phases thereafter as you're moving toward better and better health. Well, the, the, the first step or the first phase is pretty much universal for everyone, and that's this. The, the one question that will determine your success in really type of any type of significant life change, you know, that requires you to go in and, and really, you know, look at yourself and make some significant changes is this. Have you suffered enough? You know, have you suffered enough with the way that you've been doing things? And, you know, most people haven't because they continue to run those patterns. So usually when, you know, they're still trying to solve things at the symptom level, you know, a new diet, you know, a new fitness plan. But the reality is this. We live in the information age. So, you know, I can Google how to build a nuclear reactor. And I certainly can get any information I want about diets or weight loss. And, and the great secret about diets is that they all work, every one of them. Some work faster, some are healthier, some are e easier to stick to. But the diet isn't the problem. Our ability to follow through with it is. So, you know, the mindset, the first phase is that mindset of I've got to do something different. Because doing a different diet isn't really doing something different. It, it's like me getting in my Ford and deciding I'm going to drive across the Atlantic Ocean, you know, to Europe, and, and I get, you know, 20 feet out in my car sinks, and then I swim back and I say, well, that didn't work. I guess I'm going to try a Hyundai next. You know, it, it's, not, it's just a different kind of the same thing. Um, ultimately, it, the first step is, okay, uh, have I suffered enough? that I'm ready to change because, you know, Jung said that, that all neurosis is a substitute for legitimate suffering and, and, you know, emotional eating is essentially a neurotic behavior in nature and, and what that means as a substitute for legitimate suffering is that I'm using food to keep from dealing with the emotions and the hurt that I have at that primal level, you know, whatever is, is really underneath there. So people really got to be ready to look at that stuff because up until this point in their life, you know, using food and all of these things was preferable, at least subconsciously, to dealing with those issues. So that's that openness and that willingness is, is typically the, the first step. And then, you know, the second phase is, like I said, I, I work with the conscious and the subconscious. The second phase is usually an educational one where, you know, the, I, I teach them all about the subconscious mind, how it works, how it functions, um, 
you know, the and a kind of an owner's manual for it, so to speak. You know, for example, the law of reverse effect, you know, which says the greater the conscious effort, the less the subconscious responds. So a great example of that is, you know, if you've ever been trying to remember a name and the more you try, the more you can't remember, and then you stop and are doing something else and it pops into your head. Well, that also works for weight loss. You know, the more I try not to think of that cupcake or the harder I try to do this, the less, you know, assistance I'm going to get from my subconscious or kind of a pushback. So the second part of it is, is um, you know, educational in nature. Then the third phase is really getting into applying that knowledge to yourself, you know, going through these exercises to begin to figure out your own patterns. Why am I doing this? You know, if I really, really want this as badly as I say I do, Something else has got to be going on beneath the surface. You know, most of the people that I, I work with, I'll, I'll say, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, how important is this to you to lose weight? Oh, it's a 9, it's a 10. You know, how long has this been a goal? 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. You know, tell me about some of the other things that you've done. And most of these people have gone to school, they've raised a family, they've had a career, they've overcome all types of adversity, things that required them to, you know, do things, you know, put off pleasure for, you know, the long-term goal, things that required willpower, focus, perseverance. If you're able to do all that, but you're not able to lose weight, you know, you've been trying to do this for 15 years, that's a good indication that there's something going on there beneath the surface. So the third phase is really beginning to understand and explore and heal that. And then the last phase is the living fearlessly part, which, um, you know, is essentially, uh, you know, moving forward without those, you know, beliefs and fears in, in life. And I can elaborate on the fearless part a little more if you like. Sure, go ahead. Yes. Okay. Well, well, well. The the one of the primary reasons the book is called Fat to Fearless is, you know, there's the concept of secondary gains, which, um, you know, a very simple explanation would be that, you know, consciously we say we want to do something, and you know, subconsciously we don't. We have a stronger reason for not following through. So, you know, an extreme example would be, you know, I, I worked with a lady about. 12 to 15 years ago that was 450 pounds and barely five feet tall. And she, um, you know, was near death, literally when the, the doctor sent her to work with me. And what ended up coming out was that she had been sexually abused and molested as a child. So she didn't make the connection, but the weight was a way of protecting her from that. So as long as she had that, you know, that fear, that unresolved issue, she was never going to be able to lose weight. So that's kind of an extreme example. But other common examples are things like, you know, when I start to lose weight, my I get attention from the opposite sex and I become uncomfortable because I, I've never dealt with that. I subconsciously don't feel attractive or... I start to lose weight, and as soon as I, I reach a particular point, my spouse becomes insecure, and it puts pressure on the relationship, so I start to sabotage it. And there's dozens of those little secondary gains that, you know, so you kind of look at diagnosing what those are and healing those. But the ultimate secondary gain is this, and this is what the fearless part is. If you've ever talked to anyone that has been overweight their entire life and, you know, has done the yo-yo dieting and all this sort of thing, and this included me because I was obviously 300 pounds myself, uh, we always have a list of the things we're going to do when we lose weight. You know, when I lose weight, I'm going to go out and meet that special someone. I'm going to start dating. When I lose weight, I'm going to make more friends. I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to start doing public speaking and, and be more you know visible at work and work my way up. You know, we have this list of things that we say we're going to do when we lose weight that we think the weight is what's keeping us from doing it. But more times than not, the weight is actually protecting us from our subconscious fear that we aren't good enough to do those things. There's that fear of, oh, what if I go out there and I lose the weight and I go out there and no one's, I, I can't find anybody. No one loves me. What if I can't make it work? You know, um, I, I can't, you know, uh, go back to school and, and get that um, diploma or, you know, I, I can't, I won't be good at public speaking. So what happens is we reach a particular point where the you know we're close to that goal, and subconsciously you know back here there's this oh man we're going to actually have to go out and do this stuff, we don't want to necessarily find out that maybe we're not good enough. So there begins to be that sabotage, and um, ultimately it's you know feeling that fear and doing it anyway, because what happens is is uh, once you do it in spite of the weight, the weight no longer serves a purpose and subconsciously you can let it go. So a very quick, great example was, you know, I had a client who she had this fear of relationships. You know, she she thought that, you know, relationships are confining and, you know, but yet she wanted a relationship, yet she had this fear of them. 
She told herself, as long as I, when I lose weight, I'm going to start dating. You know, and I encouraged her. I said, let's work on this, this fear you have about relationships and start dating now and not wait till the weight was resolved. So we did that. She started dating and the weight just gradually came off, you know, and she barely made any changes in her life. Her eating compulsion stopped because the weight no longer was an effective deterrent because she was doing it anyway. So at the heart of it is going out and living life fearlessly in spite of your weight, and then you'll find that the weight may just disappear without a whole lot of extra effort. Oh, beautiful example, Asher. Okay, we're talking to Asher Fox. He's the author of Fats of Fearless, the book that uh, he's going to in a moment explain exactly how you can get a hold of. It is an entire program, actually, according to what I've been able to ascertain from having a wonderful moment being able to peruse through his book we're going to tell you a little bit more about the book, and then we're going to find out more, Asher, about you and why this has been such a personal journey where you know exactly what you're talking about, both from a trainer position and because you've been inside a body who needed to lose weight. So, Asher, how do we get a hold of your book? Uh, you can find the book at Amazon.com. You can also go to AsherFoxWeightLoss.com or AsherFox.com, and, and there's a you'll see it's right on the homepage. You can um, click there, and it'll take you to the Amazon store. So you can either um, search for Fat to Fearless on Amazon, or even if you just Google it, I think Amazon comes up first, or even if you search for my name um, on Amazon or Google, it's pretty easy to find. And are you available for... Uh weight training or what are you personally available to listeners either online or in person and how if so how do they get in touch with you yes absolutely i um i have a, a little bit of everything uh for clients nationally and internationally i do skype sessions i also have a group coaching program that we're launching in a um couple of weeks which it's so amazing i really won't get into the details but the the launch is going to be i just is going to be otherwise we'd have everybody calling but there's going to be a great opportunity That's good. to participate go, in go for it. <laughs> in an eight-week coaching program that essentially is going to, um, uh, when they purchase the actual program, the, the eight-week coaching program is normally $1,000, and I'm actually giving that away for free. Uh, so they'll be able to do an eight-week group coaching program with me where we go through the book, they get hypnotherapy audios, all of those things. And um, they can, if they get that Cravings Toolkit at, at uh, uh, cravingstoolkit.com, they'll also get information on that. Or if they just go to my website, asherfoxweightloss.com, they can email or even co- they can contact me directly, and um, I can give them information uh, on that. So I do that online group coaching. I do one-on-one Skype sessions as well. And I also have a uh, private practice clinic here in Orlando, Florida, that uh, people come into and occasionally people fly into as well. Oh, that's great. Okay, folks, so you're going to learn more about how you can get in touch with them later. But at least you have the preliminary. And what is this system about? Can you give us a little bit of the structure and then we get to find out about you? Sure, absolutely. You know, basically the 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 book is kind of the manual, but a lot of the book has a lot of processes that are kind of hypnotherapeutic in nature that deal with the subconscious. So the program is the book, and then there's the workbook that takes you through it. There's also a series of video tutorials where, you know, I kind of break it down even more, you know, in terms of the process, the steps. I give a lot of case studies, things like that. Um, but the real, you know, heart of it is that there's a, a hypnotherapy audio suite that actually, you know, does uh, um, these processes with people. You know, unlike just traditional hypnotherapy where you, you know, listen to it, there's certainly that component. Some of these are very interactive where you'll actually go in and meet your inner child. You'll actually dialogue with your inner child and understand why it eats. So there's those types of interactive hypnotherapy. There's also hypnotherapy directly, audios directly to deal with cravings, to deal with, um, to deal with, uh, uh, you know, things like uh, even metabolism, you know, because your subconscious mind directly affects your metabolism. So there's a whole hypnotherapy audio suite that, you know, supports you and takes you through the process, as well as tutorial videos uh, and iPhone app that you can take with you that provides support and then some video tutorials. But the big thing about the program is that you also get a um, instructional video series on emotional freedom technique where I teach you how to stop cravings and really any negative emotional state, you know, almost instantly. Okay, I'll just turn to your website. I'm looking at asherfoxweightloss.com and you provide just a lot of wonderful material that's just a precursor to the more in-depth work that you do on your in, inside your book. Well, Asher, how in the world did you come to realizing this was so important uh, to deal with? This is such a vital part of people's well-being. 
Well, well, I was an overweight child and uh, became an overweight adult. And, you know, as a child, I dealt with all the self-esteem issues that, you know, you deal with as a child being overweight, you know, being picked last and last for everything and, you know, uh, social issues uh, and then, you know, socialization issues. And then as I got older, that obviously compounded with dating and rejecting, being rejected and these types of things. And I ended up having a, a series of back surgeries in part caused by my weight. And I was lying in the hospital bed and I was getting ready to go off to college. And I said, you know, something's got to change. So I decided the best possible way that I could, you know, lose weight and keep it off and, and also put myself through school would be I would become a personal trainer. So um, I became a personal trainer, and I thought there's no way I could be overweight if I know everything about fitness and nutrition. And ultimately, that turned out to not be true because knowledge doesn't <laughs> produce change. You know, I ended up um, having actually a, a very successful personal training business because I, I ended up I started it from scratch when I was 20 something like that, um, or, um, 20. I think, and um, I had $300 left over from a student loan, and you know I was a very good entrepreneur, so I built this business with other trainers, but I myself never really solved my weight problem, and and I you know at, at one point was even 300 pounds as a personal trainer, and I saw that clients were having the same issues that I was, is that you know everybody knows what to do, you know the problem was that when they went home. You know, they were lonely and they ate or they ate in response to stress or they would get close to their goal and they wouldn't know why, but for some reason they just felt compelled to eat. So I wanted to solve that issue for myself and also my clients. So, I, you know, I turned away from working exclusively in the physical modalities and I began, and, I, and I'd al already studied this and even taken some courses, but really delved into understanding psychology, the subconscious mind. I became a clinical hypnotherapist, NLP practitioner, you know, cognitive behavioral coach, and really made this my life's work and, and solved it for myself. If anyone wants to see my before and after pictures on astrofoxweightloss.com. And then for 19 years, that's what I've really done is, is specialize in helping people with this. And I had, you know, the, the inspiration for this was that I had such amazing success in sessions uh, with clients. And, you know, I attributed that to I was the only person I knew that had kind of these three components. You know, one was certainly the fitness and nutrition knowledge, but also I, you know, was very well educated, you know, plethora of credentials and the hypnotherapy and the subconscious and all that. But beyond that, I had been there. You know, anytime a client came in to me and they, they said, there's nothing they could say to me that I couldn't say, finish their sentence and say, oh, so and then you do this, you eat that, and then you have this feeling. So I was able to produce these amazing results, and, and I just really felt like I needed to share this with, with more than you know, the number of people I could see one-on-one. -on -one. So that's what um, motivated me to write the book and create the program. I think it's just so very helpful for people to realize they're not alone in this process at all in terms of once weight has become an issue, there are some really common aspects that people fall right into um, and that probably led them to walk right into that. They don't need to feel alone in this at all. And it sounds like that's one of the big pathways that you provide. You're not alone, and I do know the way out of this. And another thing, Asher, as you're talking, though, and I'm, I'm looking through your website, that I really do have to ask you that this isn't really, I don't know how to say it. It's not like about eating, like how to eat. Um, um, in other words, the relationship with food can also be enjoyable. It can be pleasurable and not cause you to gain weight or not cause you to have difficulty with your weight problems. And I think it, it's moving it, into that attitude with food that is a transition point somewhere along the line. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And and the key is is um you know when you know kind of like we were talking about before with the technique that you use. A lot of times, you know, it, it's about um that transition and people being ready for that. Meaning that when you're, you know, an addict of some kind, you know, it you can't really make that jump immediately from okay, I'm addicted to this substance to I'm going to be able to you know, indulge in it and be okay with it and have limits. So usually it's kind of a, a process, you know, of, you know, one of the thing, the analogies that I use is, it, is it's kind of like, um, you know, if you think about uh, uh, the equator 
you know, uh, it's the most lush and tropical place on the earth, okay? And if you were, you know, it's the healthiest, it's, you know, life flourishes there. But if you're nowhere near the equator, you know, and you've got to find the equator, you know, you need a compass. And how does a compass work? It works by magnets, by referencing the north and south pole. So essentially, you need to be able to reference both extremes to kind of find that middle ground. So people who are born towards the North Pole, for instance, continuing with the analogy, meaning they were born in an environment where they just learned horrible eating habits and had, you know, a terrible, um, you know, maybe emotionally traumatic childhood, and they learn these maladaptive behaviors, you know, they kind of have to be able to, you know, learn, you know, the other, the other extreme, the ability to control their behavior and not see food as pleasure before they can kind of find their way back to the, to the middle. You know, and obviously that's a continuum, you know, depending upon how extreme you are. But the goal is definitely to get there and to be able to, you know, and that's kind of where the book guides you to, you know, to be able to enjoy food in, in, a, in a healthy way. To enjoy food in a healthy way, what would be the attitude behind enjoying food in a healthy way? What are the attitudes that eventually you feel people will move toward? Well, a lot of it goes back to that concept of savoring food, meaning that, you know, you know, seeing food as fuel for a healthy life, but seeing it as a sensory experience as opposed to a filling experience, meaning that, you know, when when people eat emotionally, when they're out of control, you know, the, they're eating to kind of fill themselves up, so to speak. And then obviously there's a, that biochemical component that kind of shifts things. But, you know, we don't even eat you know, slowly enough to barely even taste the food, much less, and like I said, that kind of decreases, you know, our experience of that the more we eat of any particular food at one time. So it's really, enjoy, you know, participating in the sensory experience of food, you know, being able to take a bite and really taste it and experience the smell, experience the taste, experience the texture, you know, and when you do that, you also give the brain a chance to catch up and actually be satiated. So that's a big part of the enjoying food part of it. You say on one of your blogs, a blog, it's not your fault. And in the blog, it goes down, it says, many years ago I took advantage of my time working in gyms and health clubs to begin to study the mindsets of those who had the bodies I always wanted. So, Asher, what are the mindsets that you discovered? Well, the mindset for those people were basically that they it wasn't a choice, it wasn't an option, it was a way of life. It, they didn't engage in the internal dialogue that I did, you know, that I, and, and this is one of the things that I deal with in the book is changing that dialogue, but again, going back to kind of that inner critic and that inner child, you know, when it came time at the end of my shift to, uh, to um, you know, work out or not, I would, you know, sit here and have these voices in my head that said, God, man, you know, you really would just want to go home and watch some TV, maybe have some pizza. Then that other voice would come in and say, yeah, oh, you're a loser. You always do this. And, you know, and that whole thing would go back and forth. And I would end up just feeling even worse and then definitely going and getting the pizza. These people didn't have that dialogue. You know, it was just this is what I do. This is who I am. I'm somebody that works out every day. And, you know, that's really kind of the, the point that, you know, you want to get to is that you you can't be – have the psychology and the mindset of an overweight person and think that you're going to permanently change your body. You've really got to change, you know, because your, your body's going to be a reflection of your mind and you have to really, really work at changing that. Hmm. On the other hand, when you know, when you say it's not your fault yet, do you think that there's some liberation for someone to be finally able to say, wow, look what I have been doing to myself. I can't believe it. And guess what? I'm now empowered enough to know the tools, to understand the mindset, so forth and so on, to actually do something different for myself. So I guess said differently, when is it very valuable to say, you know, this really is my fault, and therefore if it's my fault, perhaps I'm the one in charge or in control of actually affecting the changes. Oh, well, it, that is always valuable because, you know, that, that article, you know, blog post, you know, it starts off, it says it, it's not your fault yet meaning that up until this point, if you haven't really been educated or exposed to the material to understand, you know, what's going on, you know, maybe you haven't really had the choice, you know. So in other words, if I've got these significant emotional issues, you know, in my subconscious or I have this subconscious compulsion to sabotage or maybe I don't believe I, I deserve this life that I want in this thin body and that's there subconsciously, you know, that 5 to 10% of the conscious mind, I, you know, that's the part of us that decides what we want to do, but our subconscious decides what we actually do, you know. So 
if, if I've had these conflicts in my subconscious, it hasn't been my fault that I haven't been able to follow through because, you know, it was, I was fighting a losing battle. But the minute that you're exposed to this material, the minute that you begin to read and see and understand, oh, this is what go- is going on, then it does become your fault because you actually have a different choice. And at that point, it's all a matter of self-responsibility because we realize that we have created all of this. You know, our bodies are a reflection of our mind, our environments as well. You know, the people we attract into our lives that kind of support us in, in our, you know, emotional cluster, so to speak. So self-responsibility is really at the heart of all of it, of really any significant change. Well said. Okay, now, in addition, though, when you say it's not my fault, I do think that our society has blurred the lines on what foods and how to eat foods and when you schedule food and so forth and so on because of the chronic accessibility to food. I always say that that overweightness is often a product of living in a very opulent society, that an opulent society means we have so many choices and opportunities to mess things up. <laughs> yeah. that we can We can live without the reins of... Of, of limitations, we can live with plenty surrounding us, plenty of opportunities to eat, plenty of opportunities to sit still and not be active, plenty of opportunities to not pay attention to our physical vessel, our wonderful physical home, our physical hotel that we walk around with or we sit around with. So that in this opulent society, what are the types of of approaches to food? I'm going to say the word diet. Oh, I'm cringing. But what type of diets actually seem to help individuals move from step one, which is, oh, do I have to do this, the pain and the pleasure dilemma, all the emotional components, to, you know, I can actually stay on track eating this way because I feel better, it's working, I'm losing the fat, I'm producing muscle. So what type of diets or approach to food do you actually promote? Well, the the challenge is is that, you know, again, dealing with people who've chronically had weight issues is that everybody wants to go from where they're at to what you just described kind of instantly, meaning that they want to be, you know, they, they, that's kind of an, an erroneous thought process that, oh, there is this diet that's going to be easy to follow and easy to, you know, when that's not really the issue. You know, once they do the work and they're able to get in touch with their body, and, you know, because most of the people that I talk to, they'll come in and they'll say, I'm hungry all the time. And then I'll say, well, let me ask you, are you hungry or do you just want to eat? And they look at me like it's the same thing, you know, and then they begin to figure that out. And so once you, you know, kind of heal those emotional issues that cause you to, you know, want food to feel better, you know, and you get in touch with your body, uh, you know, so you understand when you're, we'll say it's a three-step process, one, let's, you know, heal those, you know, things that cause you to want to reach out, and, you know, replace, your, build your life around healthy things, you know, secondly, get in touch with your body where you actually know when you're hungry and when you're not. And then the third thing is to have an emotionalized reason, you know, to not overeat or eat unhealthy, you know, meaning, you know, something that makes it worthwhile. Once you do that, almost you know, any plan can be easy to follow if it's right for you. Meaning, you know, for myself, you know, and other people, I see some people do great with like um, the paleo diet, you know, other people, you know, with, a, you know, kind of a partially ketogenic diet, other people do a high carbohydrate diet. You know, from my standpoint, what I've seen is that diets, you know, specifically tend to really be unique to individuals, you know, meaning their body chemistry, you know, their, their, um, circadian rhythm, when they, you know, how they eat, you know, what they, how they ate as children. So, you know, I've found that when you kind of heal, you know, the body is a, has a wonderful self-healing, self-regulatory mechanism, you know. So I think that once you heal these things and you learn to listen to your body, you know, you can find that diet that will work best for you. So one of the mindsets I, I, I think that you're implying is that don't approach the initial stages of this like you have to get to your perfect weight within the next month because you're going to crash and burn. It's like taking that car out into the ocean. You want to address that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, because the other mindset is that, you know, this book is really it's about healing from the inside out, meaning that currently, you know, whether you, and and again, you know, people have to be willing to admit and and or at least be open to finding out that this concept is true, but your current body is a reflection of your current mindset, your current emotional state, your current you know way of living and interacting with your body and your environment. And you know you, you think you're 
unhappy because you're overweight. The truth is you're overweight because you were unhappy. It just started way earlier than you may remember. And it's a cyclical system. You know, this is about finding happiness, you know, finding um, peace, you know, finding high self-esteem, and then the body transforms with that. So, you know, the mindset of, okay, I, I need to lose weight, you know, really quickly or what have you, is the exact opposite mindset you want to have because built into that is the idea that you're not good enough as you are. You know, if I've got to lose 20, 30 pounds to to feel good about myself, then what does that say about who I am right now? You know, when you learn to value and love yourself, then weight can become a, a loving choice. But as long as or losing weight can be a loving choice. But if I'm having to lose weight because I feel like I'm not good enough as I am, that's an unloving choice. And that's sending messages to yourself that, hey, you know, we're not good enough. And that doesn't feel good. And when we don't feel good, that makes us eat. You know, so it's at the end of the journey, you know, most people will say to me, yeah, I lost weight, but that's the icing on the cake. You know, what's really great is that I love myself, is that I look at myself and I think I'm I'm amazing. And, you know, that self-esteem has made other areas of my life better as well. Oh, that's very interesting, Asher. Yeah, I, I think that um, there is a, when you, you say how, how much do I need to suffer, there's also a way of saying, in contrast, I'd love to hear you talk about the contrast here, where you say, I've had enough of not liking the way I look. I've had enough of not liking the way I feel. I've had enough of not being able to move the way I want to be able to move. I've just had enough. I've reached the bottom. It's time for me to do something about it. So that sounds on some level like you're saying, no, I don't like where I'm at, and I don't like what I've created. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. the opposite of this self-love and self uh acceptance that you're talking about. So how do you, obviously life is complex. How do you deal with that complexity? Well, and actually it's really not a contradiction because it all depends upon, here's the key. It's, you know, it's self-loving to take responsibility for your life, believe you deserve better, and take steps to make your life better, okay? But there's a difference between I'm going to make take steps to make my life better because I want to enjoy life more and I need to do this because I'm not good enough as I am. You know, it, it, it sounds similar, but it's really not. One is I want I want to lose, staying with weight loss. I want to lose weight because that's a loving choice. Because I would enjoy my life more. Because I want to live longer. I want to be healthier. I want to feel better. You know, I want to feel more attractive. You know, that's a different mindset. That's one of choice versus uh, I I don't feel I'm good enough as I am. You know, it's it's kind of a fundamental difference, um, and it's reaching that point of because there's not like I said, there's nothing more self-loving than complete self-responsibility, and that's really what it is: is reaching that point of saying I'm fed up. You know, it's I'm fed up with you know not taking responsibility for not acknowledging my power, my ability to truly change my life, and because that's really the most self-loving thing you can do. But one's motivated by the feeling of I'm not good enough as I am, and the other is motivated by hey. I, I'm I'm awesome, but I'm choosing to be better. And it's a it seems like a slight very difference, but it's a totally different feeling. One one's empowering and the other is in self-loving and the other one is, you know, shrinking from your power and it's it's based on not coming from within but without. You know, I've got to do this because other people are judging me versus it's my choice because I want to feel better. Great information here, folks, and there's just a whole lot more that you can read from this. There are so many ways to approach losing weight. But the truth is that you really are thinking about moving yourself to your optimal self, your optimal self, and your optimal self this today can be different than tomorrow, so forth and so on. So you can like make these steps and progress, but with Asher Fox, you can possibly do it even more effectively than any of the other ad systems that you're going to be struggling with, but who do you think is ready to take a hold of your system, Asher? Who's, who's, who's ready to say, okay, this is a system that's ready for me now, uh, as opposed to someone that say, well, I'm not quite there yet? Um, I, I would say that someone, if we did the not quite there yet first, because that's kind of easier, uh, if someone is still wanting that kind of rapid, I'm going to lose weight, you know, and, uh, you know, type of thing that they've done so many times, you know, that they did 
you know, two years ago and lost 40 pounds and thought, well, that worked. I'm going to go back to it. Well, that's not my definition of working. You know, if you regain the 40 pounds and had to go back, somebody that, that you know, this is one of the ways I tell people to look at it is everybody's like, God, you know, I want to lose like 20 pounds in the next, you know, three hours or, you know, whatever it is. The reality is if you had started a program like this, you know, three years ago, and I lost a half pound a month, which obviously you're going to lose a lot more than that on this program. But let's say you did three years ago, you know, you would have lost, you reached your goal weight, you know, forever ago. And you would have been healthier and happier. So it's about really being willing to do things differently, you know. And, and at the end of the day, you know, it's it's um, it's just, an you know, an, an incredible transformation. And, and at the end of it, you're so much more empowered. You know about your mind. You know, this protocol, this book is, you know, I've worked with people for a lot of things, you know, whether it's, you know, toxic relationships or what have you. And I frequently give them this book and say, just change weight loss to, you know, um, you know, whatever your specific issue is, because it's a lot of the same transformational process. Because I'm a, a big believer in generative change, meaning, you know, if, if when someone comes into me for a symptom, I personally almost consider myself a failure if that's the only thing I fix. You know, if you come in to me for weight loss, you know, I'm going to give you tools and skills and expand your own ability to control, you know, or, or understand and control your life in such a way as I ho really hope that bleeds over into other areas, too. Um, and, and that's really at the heart of it is expanding your ability to decide your own fate. Wonderful. Okay, now, Asher, tell us again, how do they get in contact with you? How do they get to know you? I'm noticing that you have an Asher Fox show. It's a it's an Apple TV or it's an iTunes podcast. How do they get to know more about your information through those and other means? Um, they can go to asherfoxweightloss.com and they can, you know, contact me there and I'll get them whatever information they'd like. We also have a, a working with a great company in Tallahassee called App Innovators that's producing a new mobile app that they'll be able to download for free if they go and again get that cravingstoolkit.com, you know, they'll get all the information there. But, um, you know, I would recommend getting either getting that cravingstoolkit.com or going to my website. I've got excerpts from the book. You know, they can also get the book on Amazon uh, or Kindle. Okay. And to reach you per personally is how? Um, they can reach me personally. Uh, they can uh, they could reach me through asherfoxweightloss.com. They could also email me directly at afox at asherfox.com, and I'll even give out my uh, line for uh, my clinic line for if they want to inquire about either the group coaching program or um, uh, sessions, uh, Skype sessions, and that's my Orlando Hypnotherapy Clinic line, which is 407-717-9007. Perfect. Thank you. Okay, well, we have just about four more minutes, Asher. Inspire us to start the process now or whatever your go-to statement is as you, you flag us away and send us on our, on our path toward being better. Well, uh, it really comes down to just being able to make choices and follow through with them. You know, from living the, the life of an overweight person, you know, one of the things that I would, I would tell my clients whenever I, I lost the weight is, you know, how you feel – all the, t all the time is how I feel when I'm sick. And, you know, if you haven't really experienced life being healthy and, and feeling good about yourself inside and out, you, know, you really have no idea what you're missing out on. And that's a shame, you know, because our bodies, you know, as opposed to this thing that have, has become what we're, we allow ourselves to feel judged by and, and by society's standards, our bodies are really a, a beautiful tool designed to help us interface with, you know, this wonderful world that we have and, and other people and, and the experiences that are here. But when we're, we're, we've damaged that body through layers of, of fat or, you know, things that are a result of, you know, unhealthy behaviors, we're really obscuring our ability to do that. So I, I feel like everybody owes it to themselves to both physically and emotionally kind of clear this stuff out and, and live the best life they can. So what does the best life look like, Asher? Well, the the best life is basically one where you're you're able to, one, you know, our, our relationship with the world is a reflection of our relationship with ourselves. If we want to have authentic, honest, trusting relationships with other people, we need to have honest, authentic, trusting relationships with ourselves. You know, we have to be able to, you know, say that we're going to do things and follow through. We have to be able to honor our own thoughts and feelings. We have to be able to believe that we deserve the best and, you know, stand up for ourselves and our ability to do that. So it's really a matter of, of being willing to fearlessly, you know, live up to our potential. 
And, you know, that really resolves, you know, involves kind of resolving any belief systems that keep us from doing that, anything that makes us shrink from ourselves or feel bad about ourselves in some way. Beautifully said. In other words, to be incredibly enthusiastic about being ourselves in whatever sort of situation we find ourselves in. And that enthusiasm may come with very tiresome days because we're overworked, but it doesn't need to be coming from taxing our bodies with a lack of exercise, lack of sleep, and lack of eating wonderfully healthy foods that are also tasty. Remember, healthy foods can be really, really good. Do you have any recipes that you offer, Asher? Uh, you know, I don't, and and the reason that I don't is because there are so many um, medical clinics and you know different diet you know programs that uh, you know want to use my my material to kind of help their people psychologically that that I don't mm. really put put a lot of material out there. I kind of leave leave that to them. But I will say this: that healthy foods can absolutely become you know very enjoyable because once you kind of you know get a lot of this stuff out of your system and you reframe the way you see food you know and you slow down and eat and enjoy all of the texture and savor it you'd be amazed at how amazing some of that stuff can taste absolutely totally with you okay i look forward to talking to you again about your cravings materials folks you know how to reach asher fox now and you also know how to Take the step toward being, oh, so excited to be in that wonderful body of yours and making it the next best to you. All right, folks, we'll talk to you down the road. Let us know what you're doing in terms of making your life live outside the box, inside the box, with the optimal way of approaching this one singular life you have today. Take care. Thanks, Ashton. Thank you very much. Cheers.